Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Wow. Wow, no pressure following that up, right? Who is Jesus? That's, that, that's what we're talking about today. I'm so glad to be with you on this incredible Sunday. It's beautiful outside. We've had summer-like weather for a couple days. And it, just to remind you, it's not summer yet. It's going to be yucky again. And if you're, uh, if you're a guy and you're in some sort of romantic relationship, just remember that Tuesday is Valentine's Day. This is your friendly PSA to remind you that there will be no roses or flowers available on Tuesday morning. I know this from uh, direct experience. <clears throat> Well, I am so glad to be back with you again today, and I am so excited to continue this, our series on the creed, on what we believe. What you determine and what you believe determines so much about our lives, the choices we make, the decisions we live by. What we believe, in fact, sets in motion most of what affects the everyday actions of our lives. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our families, what we believe about our country, what we believe about God. Everything that we do is affected by these beliefs. Uh, for example, if you believe you can make it through the yellow light before it turns red, you may give the gas pedal an extra push to make it sure you get through while the light is still orangish. If you believe that there is one great song from your high school years, you may force your family to listen to it for decades to come. For me, it's either a power of love from Back to the Future or a highway to the danger zone from Top Gun. Yeah, I'm old, I know. I apologize to my family for the countless times they've had to endure those songs. In fact, we were driving up here today, and there was a song in the playlist, and it, it's not a good song. It's like from a group that doesn't even exist anymore called Prefab Sprout. And the song is called The King of Rock and Roll, and the chorus literally is, Hot Dog, Jumping Frog, Albuquerque. And my son looks at me like, this is a bad song. I'm like, yeah, it's not a good song. But I have nostalgia for it, so guess what? You have to listen to it. What I believe about that song, because I had emotional attachment to it, meant that I had to have it again today. But on a greater, grander, and more eternal scale, what you believe affects far more important things than red lights and popular songs. What you believe about the things that truly matter, about God, about faith, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the Bible, those things affect your life, your heart, your mind, your soul, and most importantly, the very destiny of your life. Today, I want to look at, as you saw, one of the most important key things that we as Christians must believe and understand, and that is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Why do we believe what we believe about him, and why does it matter so many years later today? Before we jump into that, I want to remind us what Pastor Ricardo has already said about this idea of why what we believe matters. As he has said, if we don't have an I believe, we will have what they believe. If we don't have an I believe, we will have what they believe. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want what they believe, whoever they are, about Jesus. I want to be assured that I know what and who Jesus is. I want to be confident of why Jesus matters to me right here, right now, today. I want to know that I can count on Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior, not just for this moment, not just for this afternoon, but for all time and for all eternity. Amen. This isn't new, by the way. This is something Christians, the followers of Jesus, have been doing for centuries. In fact, there's a word that describes exactly what this is. It's the title of the series, Creed. 
What is a creed? A creed is a set of beliefs or aims which guide someone's actions. So you may have a creed that says, I believe that X team, whoever's playing today, will be the best team and they will win at some big game that's going to happen today. That's your creed. Your creed may be, the color blue looks good on me, so I will wear blue every single day. Your creed may be, I love a good lawn. I'm going to take care of it. These aims and things that we have in our lives, that's how I'm going to live my actions out. Well, on a far greater scale, anyone who claims that Jesus as their Savior, our creed is our formal statement of beliefs. It's what we say, this is what we believe. It's a written agreement that all of this is what we believe about this thing, and we're all going to stick to it as the years go by, no matter how weird and messy life may get. You, if you're married, you have a creed that you signed with your, with your wife when you signed your marriage vows. That was your creed. I will love, honor, cherish, and support you through sickness and health, through better or worse, till death do us part. The minute you veer from that, what happens to your marriage? Doesn't end well. You stick to your creed because your creed is your, is your compass. It's your anchor point that says, this is who I am, this is how I'll live, and I'm not going to veer from that. In the 5th century, Christian leaders agreed to a specific idea, a statement of, or set of beliefs that solidified what they believed about God, about Scripture, about Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and more. This is known today as the Apostles' Creed. And if you grew up in church, you may have heard of it a lot, especially if you grew up in a liturgical church. My wife grew up Lutheran, so she had to memorize this as a kid. She knew it long. When we got together, I had never heard of the Apostles' Creed because I went to more non-denominational churches. You know, we knew what we believed, but we didn't like have it out with, I believe in the Lord. Father. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, and so it's probably like maybe Catholic. You, you understand this. This statement of beliefs was written to counteract people who were saying things about Jesus that were not based on the apostles' words. The facts as told by the very eyewitnesses who were there to see the events of Jesus' life. They were contrary to what was taught by the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his eventual ascension. The 5th century Apostles' Creed says this about Jesus. And it's still quoted and described to you by most people in the Christian faith. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Actually, that gives me goosebumps. And if that doesn't get you goosebumps, then what's wrong with you? That's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. This creed says that what? Jesus is one. He is God. Not partly God, not a little bit of God. For just a little bit of while, just a little time, he is 100% fully God, creator of the universe. He was, is, always, and has been, and will be tomorrow. He is what the, the Old Testament word for God was. I am. It's not I was, I might be, I will be. Who knows? It's he is God. Yeah. Amen. Jesus was born of a virgin. His mother Mary was impregnated, as the Bible says. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Jesus was supernaturally placed in his mother's womb by his father. That has to be understood. It wasn't some weird thing, like some people teach it, 
where God came down to earth and had sex with Mary. It wasn't some other weird thing where, well, after the baby was conceived, then God showed up. No, literally from the moment of conception, Jesus was God placed there inside of his mother. Jesus lived a sinless life. Not once in his existence on this planet did Jesus struggle with sin. When given the opportunity to do the opposite of God's will, there's a great example of it. When he goes out to the wilderness and is tempted by the devil, the devil literally hits him at all of his weakest points as a human being. Jesus, are you hungry? You haven't eaten 40 days? Here's a Big Mac. And Jesus doesn't go, thank goodness. I re- da, 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 da. I'm loving it. You know, he doesn't do that. He rejects it. The, uh, the devil comes in with his next thing. You know, well, you know, you're here for power. You're here to save the world. I can give you that power. Jesus rejects that. His humanity's like, no, no, God's got that figured out. You don't, don't do that to me. He takes him to the top of the temple and says, listen, if you jump down from here, I know that, the, that your father says the angels will lift you up and everyone will know, oh my gosh, that's God. And what does Jesus say? Hey, don't put your Lord to God to the test. Satan, I don't need that. He never sinned, even when given those opportunities. Jesus responded with scripture and refused to give in to the temptation in the easy way out. Unlike us, sadly, Jesus never, ever chose to do the wrong thing. Oh, I confess, I have often chosen to do the wrong thing. Sometimes it's been a little small thing. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's been the big thing. And you know what I'm talking about. But Jesus never did that. He never made the opposite choice to live of what God desired and called him to do. Jesus died a brutal death. We know through the Gospels that Jesus' death fulfilled everything the prophet Isaiah said. In the bullet collected from his prophecies, we know the Savior had to die a horrific, bloody, torturous death. Isaiah 53 says this, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. He suffered the most excruciating pain. The word excruciating shares the same root as the word crucifixion. Excruciating. So the separation between us and God would be removed forever. He's God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died a brutal death. (laughs) But, that's a big but, That's not what I meant, but. (laughs) I never think when I say things sometimes. I just. He rose again. On the third day, he arose. Amen. I I sang a song when I was in college on this text. Uh, It was a. uh, A gal that was in the choir, she grew up with a gospel background, and she wrote this. 
this song based on the Apostles' Creed. And you're seeing this whole thing, he, you know, Jesus died, he was heavenly, he got cruciated pain, and he died. And then the poor, he descended into hell. It's like this lovely little melody. And I hated that part. I'm like, we're singing about him des- descending to hell and like dying, and we're like, making it all happy, right? But then, all of a sudden in this moment, the melody kind of kicked in this piano, but do, 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 do. On the third day, he arose. And I was like, I like this. On the third day, he... And it just got bigger and bigger. And finally, the entire choir said, On the third day, he arose. And everyone was going crazy because like, Yeah, Jesus is alive! And that was me in college. Can you imagine being there on the day it happened? We're like, oh, Jesus is alive. We didn't even know to see Jesus. We just know of him. We, we have a relationship with him. But we weren't there when he died. We didn't see the moment. But just like when the music completely changed, there's this feeling of a thrill, of an excitement. On the third day, he arose. It's, it's such a great moment because this is, this is the thing. This, is, this moment in history is... If I could put it in all capitals and put it on the side of a mountain, I would say, this is the moment. The entire world measures our time around Jesus Christ because not just because he was born, not just because he died, not just because he lived a sinless life, but because unlike any other human, he rose from the dead. Great people, amazing leaders, people that we love, they die every single day. Spoiler alert for all of us who are currently alive. It's coming. Don't know when. It may be tomorrow. My grandmother always would say, she died when she was 98 years old. She'd always say, well, I may see you tomorrow. I'm like, Grandma, don't talk like that. She goes, you have no idea if I'll die tonight. I'm like, Grandma, she's like, I'm going to be with Jesus, so you'll be sad, I'll be fine. Like, <laughs> I'm like, Grandma, that's... That's actually what it's all about, isn't it? Three days after he was declared dead, three days after those who loved him thought it was all over, Jesus was alive. He beat the very thing that tried to stop him, and as a result, we can know that everything he said is true. Jesus is coming back. We know because Jesus told his followers right? If we know that everything Jesus said is true because he rose from the dead, hey, I, proved, I said I was going to come back from the dead. You're like, nah, no one does that. He's like, I'm going to come back. He came back. I guess he was telling the truth. If he, that, if he said that and it was true, then we 100% can know when he says, I am coming back again, that he did not tell a lie just to make his followers feel better. The exact words are these. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Before he ascended back to heaven, an event which Luke shows us was witnessed by thousands of people, not just one or two people said, hey, let's all agree that Jesus flew back up into heaven, right? Thousands of people saw it. They saw him go up, they saw him disappear, and they saw the angels say, why are you standing here? Jesus said he's coming back. Go, do that thing where you preach the gospel. Bye. It means that Jesus Christ 
was a living, breathing, alive person. He was the very son of God. He was fully human. He was fully divine. And while he died to pay the price for the sin committed by Adam and Eve at the beginning of time, he rose again to show that God had forgiven us. That the separation between the creator and the creation was removed. And that we, you and me, as broken and as messed up as we are, you look very nice today, but you're still broken and messed up. We can have a place with him. When we say, Jesus, we believe that you are exactly who you said you are. If we put this, <laughs> amen. I like this day because the ones you're like, yeah. Because Jesus is, he's so freaking awesome, right? To quote Josh when he said it said awesome too much, you can't say too much awesome about Jesus. If we put this creed into form for us today, Pastor Ricardo wrote it up this way. I believe Jesus is the very Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rose again to be Lord and Savior by grace through faith, and has promised eternal life for all who believe. This is Jesus. This is our Savior. Now, why can we believe this? Why? There are great reasons to believe everything I just said about Jesus. In fact, there's a whole system of study devoted to proving that Jesus is who he said he is, using facts, history, archaeology, and the rest is called apologetics. Apologetics is the religious discipline of defending religious doctrines through systematic argumentation and discourse. It's very scholarly. It's very methodical. And some of the most famous apologists of the Christian faith are names you've probably heard before. Carlton of Narnia author C.S. Lewis, who argued why logic itself proves that Jesus must be who he said he is. Thomas Aquinas, Blaise Pascal, G.K. Chesterton, R.A. Torrey, Josh McDowell, and Lee Strobel, whose contemporary books today, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith, document Lee's own journey from atheism to Christianity due to his examining the life of Jesus as an investigative journalist. I wish we had the time today to dive into apologetics as deeply as Lewis or Strobel. But Pastor Ricardo said, I can't preach for three hours. So I'm only going to preach for two. Totally joking, I know, I know. There are so many philosophical, logical, and factual reasons to believe that when Jesus said, I am the Son of God, he was speaking the truth. And I, I encourage you, check out these resources. Totally. Lee Strobel was an atheist who started looking at the claims of Jesus as, in role, as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. What he discovered caused him to confess that Jesus was, in fact, exactly who he claimed to be on evidence. There are a great many, many amazing reasons why your mind can logically say yes to Jesus. But if you only believe with your mind, you're missing the deeper, most intimate, most personal part of who you are. I know in my mind that there is a great big universe out there. There are logical, truthful, factual reasons behind all of it. But if my soul and my heart don't go, holy cow, look how big it all is, and how small I am, and how does this all affect me? It's just knowledge. Jesus is more than just knowledge. He's more than just logic and facts and reason, which is why we must, to truly say that he is who he says he is, we have to believe with our hearts. We must believe with our souls. As I said a couple of months ago, we have that thing inside of us, our knower. Remember that? You know when you're nowhere, if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, that's that thing in your gut that goes, yes, this is a good thing, or holy 
cow, I just did a bad thing. Your knower knows. When your knower says, yes, Jesus is who he says he is, then you are understanding and believing it. Why? Because Jesus came not to solve or fix an intellectual problem. Sin isn't an intellectual issue. It's a heart issue. He wasn't here to help us understand how gravity works. He didn't come to explain mathematics or third dynamics or E equals MC squared. I wish he had because then my grades in math would have been a lot better in school. But Jesus came to fix something bigger and more important, a heart problem, a soul problem. The separation between God and us caused by Adam and Eve at the beginning of time. It was not something that could be remedied by knowing more. In fact, how did sin enter the world? Because Eve went to the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. Her desire to know more pushed her away from her relationship with God. That doesn't mean that knowledge is a bad thing, but it means knowledge and the heart must be connected for us to truly have a relationship with God. You can't have just knowledge and just the heart. It's got to be both. Why? Because that's how God created us. You have a brain? Use it. You have a heart? Let it speak to you. How many of you know people who only live in their head? Sometimes they're not nice people, right? They know everything, but they're kind of jerks. Maybe you know Christians who are like that. They know every scripture. They can teach you everything that's happened in the Bible. They know all the great theologians, but they're kind of people you would never want to have dinner with them. Like, ooh, you're just, you're smart, but you're kind of yucky. How many of you know people who live on the other side? They're all the emotion. Oh my gosh, I just love Jesus so much. Jesus is the best. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You're like, do you really know Jesus? Or do you just really get a lot of worship songs in your head right now? You got to have both. They got to work together. With sin in our lives, we can't connect to God to be part of him and his goodness and plan, even if our minds say, sure, God exists. Our hearts must accept and believe that he loves us, created us, and has always always, always wanted our best. And then we can truly appreciate from here what it means. Paul the Apostle says this in Romans 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. You have to not just know it in your head. Your heart has to say, yes, this is the truth. This is reality. Instead of trying to use our outside forces outside today to prove to you that Jesus is real and you can believe in him, I'm just going to take the last of our time together to show what the Bible says about Jesus. The outside stuff is great to prove to our heads, but if we truly want our faith to be real, we have to believe it first in our hearts. These passages come to the heart of who Jesus is. Oh my gosh, I love this. I love this. Why can we believe in Jesus? I got a good one for you. It's amazing. You guys ready for it? You can believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is because of this. He loves you. I can't make eye contact with each one of you because there's a lot of you in the room. But if I could, I would just say to each one of you, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. All the rest of you, I'm talking to you too. I don't care how messy your life is. I don't care how wonderful your life may be. 
None of us have truly experienced love that says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are, where you live, who your parents are. I don't care what kind of job you have, what kind of house you live in, or whether you think the Eagles or the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. But Jesus, that's his entire motivation. Love for us. The most famous and quoted verse in the Bible says that. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. He, he loved the world so much that he had no alternative but to come to restore what is broken, to heal what was wounded, to bring back what was lost. Let's say it this way. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Jesus came for who? Thank you. And me too. <laughs> Jesus came for you. I've said many times over the years that the reason we need Jesus is because of what happened at the beginning of the time. We know through Scripture that Adam and Eve had the chance to have the best, most perfect, most amazing life. They actually walked with God in the cool of the evening. I love the cool of the evening. It's one of my favorite parts of the day, sitting around our little fire table, hearing the fountain running while some nice jazz music plays. It's a good thing. Imagine how much more awesome it would be if God opened the gate and sat by the fire table and said, Hey, Dwayne, how'd your day go? That, that was what was intended. God created humanity to have that relationship with them. An open, honest conversation and dialogue with the one who created us because he said, it is, I'm lonely. I want something out there. And that's why he made us, to have a relationship. In our desire for more, we rejected him. He had told Adam and Eve, if you go down this path, it will lead to what? Death. And so death has been our lot ever since. Kind of hopeless, right? But remember, on the day that we messed everything up, God promised that one would come back who would fix it, restore it, and bring us back into the relationship with him. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. No matter how gross, ugly, nasty our sin was, no matter how perfect we thought we were, no matter how much we thought we might be able to do it on our own, Jesus came anyway at just the right time. He died and he paid the price for that transgression back in the Garden of Eden. And it didn't matter to him whether you were a good person an upright person, or a total slime ball. Christ came to die for everyone who was in that state of separation from God. You can believe that Jesus is who he said he is because of what happened next. He died, and as I sang in college, on the third day he arose. He arose! Or as the writer of Hebrews puts it, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. In other words, Jesus became one of us with all of our skin issues and our stinky breath and our body odor and our egos. Not just so we could say, wow, I didn't realize we created them so they would be so stinky. What were we thinking? <laughs> Jesus became one of us because only by his taking on our form could he fully break the power of death 
for each one of us. His coming, his living, and his dying means that you and I can be saved from the death that has been promised to us as a result of Adam and Eve. We are sentenced to death because of what happened, and we will always make the wrong choice unless one thing happens, and that is a Savior who says, as Jesus said, to set, he came to set us free, all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. As my grandma would say, I'm not scared of dying. I know what's going to happen to me. You don't have to be afraid of death when you know that your end point is life. Oh, my heart is like pumping right now. The curse of separation, the promise of a life that would end in death was broken by Jesus. When we returned from the grave, the reign of death over our lives was ended. Our lives would not just be one big dash from our birth date to our death date. That dash represents everything that could be so much more for a greater reason, for a bigger purpose. As Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That means right now. That doesn't mean when you're dead. Eternal life begins the moment you say yes to Jesus because that's when the rich and satisfying life starts. Because Jesus paid the price for our sin. He paid the debt. His life and death as a sinless, fully perfect human being means that we get the rich and satisfying life because God has forgiven the debt. He said, I absolve you of all blame. Our separation is over. My son paid your debt. Or as Paul says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly certainly, without a doubt, you can count on it. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. What's our response then? Well, so now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? Friends with God. There's a worship song that says it like a thousand times as you sing it. And you kind of like becomes wrote, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me. Yes, but if you don't sing it for a second and just realize what that means, you have the potential to be the friend of the creator of the universe. The one who made you and knows you. All the bad juju between us and God, bye-bye. It's gone. Why? Because of Jesus. We could never have said to God, hey, hey God, I'm so sorry we've been my friend. God would have said, sorry, you got to pay the price. What's the price? Death. No, thank you. But Jesus did. Jesus stepped into that place where we could never go and do what you and I might think impossible. He made us friends with God after how many thousands of years where God was like, oh my gosh, I love them so much but they are so seriously making me angry right now. Like my relationship with my kids sometimes. I love you so much, but man, I really want to smack you. I don't do it as much anymore because now they're the same size as me. But that's God with us. The Bible is nothing but that. God, we love you. God, we're going to do the wrong thing. Bye. God's like, oh my gosh, I told you what to do. Just do it. Yeah, no. Why can you believe this? Why does your heart say yes to this? Because Jesus loves you. It's why he came. 
He died for you in spite of everything you've done or are. It's how he shows he loves you. He defeated death and hell and the grave. Everything that we deserved, everything that should have been our destiny was made right. When he did this, it changed everything that would come after for every single human on earth. This is the best part. He restores our relationship with God. He restored what was broken. He rebuilt the bridge and brought us back into relationship. The creation could once again know and talk and spend the cool of the evening with the creator. It's why he came. He came to give us back our relationship to the one who knows us best. Life today, life right now. The book of John makes clear that Jesus intended us for it to experience this abundant new life while we were still living and walking on the earth. But he also threw in a bonus. Don't you love it when you get a bonus? Don't you love it when you don't really expect it? It's like when you used to play the arcade games. Anybody remember those? Like Chuck E. Cheese actually had arcade games before it was meant for kids. And you would go, and when you got an extra life as you were playing, you're like, yes! I was like that with Galaxian. Or Pac-Man. Again, I'm old, I told you. Jesus says, not only did I come to give you an amazing, purposeful, and God-filled life, I came so you could get even more of it after you say goodbye to the world. I will come and get you and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am forever and ever and ever. In the book of John, right before Jesus is about to be betrayed and go to the cross, he says this, he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is a way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. A greater, far more wonderful, and better life than you can imagine. Not free of the weariness of the world or all that's going on. Not free for the ups and downs, because it's going to happen. But life with a purpose, with a reason, with an understanding that in everything we face, Jesus will be with us. And when it's all over, we get to go be with him and spend the rest of our lives being thankful that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again, and that he is, not was, not might be, he is our Savior. The heart says, this is Jesus. If we believe with our hearts and then confess it, or that's a fancy old Bible way of saying, saying it out loud to someone. We say with our mouths we are saved. We discover that everything Jesus promised is true. We have a friend, a counselor, a healer, a provider, and more. But, but even more, we have a reason for living, a purpose for each day. We have our belief about Jesus. They can say whatever they want. We know what is true. We know what the Bible says. We know what we believe. What do we believe? Say it with me. I believe Jesus is the very Son of God. That he was born of a virgin. Lived a perfect life. Died for our sins. And rose again to be Lord and Savior by grace through faith and has promised eternal life for all who believe. <laughs> Guys, I know you're up here and I love it. Don't stop. Keep going. It's awesome. 
But here's the deal. If that was your first time saying something like this, what we just said, then I think we have to do one more thing. We can't end this morning without giving you the chance to tell Jesus exactly what you believe about him. Move from someone who knows and hears to someone who says from their heart, Jesus, you are the Savior. You only can save me. Please do it today. Will you just do me a favor? Will you just stand up? If you can. If you can't, sit down. I don't care. But in this moment, I just want to encourage you, just close your eyes for a second. And if you already have said in your heart and confessed it with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior, then right now, just do me a favor. Pray for someone else in this room who may have never done that. With everyone's eyes closed and no one looking around, I, I just want to give the chance to you out there, somebody, to say to Jesus, I know what I believe. I know that you are who you say you are. So if you, if you need to say that to Jesus today, just do, do me a favor. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or jump up and down or yell my name. Just look at me. Just make eye contact with me real quick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, I just want you to know that life changes now. So if you just looked at me, I don't care if you don't say it out loud, loudly. Maybe just whisper it. Maybe grab the hand of someone you came in with today and just let them know you're going to say this. But just say this after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died to pay the price for my sins and to bring me back into a relationship with God. I believe that you rose again, that you want to give me an amazing wonderful life. And Jesus, I place all my hope in you as my Lord, as my Savior. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Amen. Okay. I know there's a lot going on this afternoon, but I want us to remember for just a second, for the rest of this day, what do we believe and why do we believe it? Hold fast this week to what you know is true. The world is weird. The world is crazy. People are going to have the wrong reactions to a football game today. They're going to sin. You might be tempted to sin if your team doesn't win, or if the food is bad, or if the commercials are not good. If Rihanna's outfit is weird, you might go, what am I watching? So hold fast to what you know is true. Hold fast to Jesus, because the world will try to tell you what you should believe. Remember, we know what we believe. We know what we know, not just here, but in our hearts. So let's all do it. Let's all, all hold fast to our creed. Let's hold fast to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.